Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 206. Today's topic is Bernie's Green New Deal, Part 8. This program is part of WFMP's public affairs educational programming. The views expressed are those of the speaker and not the station. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net. And if you want more of content like this, please e- uh, please uh, look for it on theclimatereport.net. I also have a Facebook page called The Climate Report. So we're stumbling through this thing together. This is Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal. So... What is the Green New Deal? Well, it depends. It's a policy agenda, but there is no one Green New Deal. Originally, there was the Green Party's Green New Deal back in 2008. That was the first one. And then in 2019, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez made it a household word by introducing her version of a Green New Deal in Congress. Also, the Democratic Socialists of America have their version of the Green New Deal. They have seven principles on which an eco-socialist Green New Deal should be based. And now there's Bernie Sanders' version of the Green New Deal. They're all good. They're all different. And I'm really pleased uh, with Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal. I'm pleased with how thorough it is. I'm pleased with how well-written it is. I'm pleased with how bold it is. So here we are. I have a numbered version of the Green New Deal. If you want my handy-dandy numbered version of Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal, then please email info at theclimatereport.net. Number 14 is transportation. Of course, transportation is a major item on the agenda. I would say transportation and food are you know, at, the, at or near the top of anybody's list of things that need to be reformed. We need a different transportation system. We need a different food system. So let's talk about transportation. says here, we can and must transform our transportation sector away from fossil fuels to create a sustainable future for all and good-paying union jobs right here in America. Transportation currently accounts for 29% of domestic emissions. We will create domestic energy alternatives to power our cars and trucks and move our transportation sector beyond oil by running our cars and trucks on renewable sources. We will also build affordable, reliable, quick, and efficient public transportation, and high-speed passenger and cargo rail. And we will create millions of good-paying, unionized jobs building the automobile fleet of the future. So one thing that concerns me when we talk about transportation is that people think, ah, we'll just make electric cars. But I don't think, ah, Just making electric cars is the solution. I think we need to move away from the automobile as the primary mode of transportation. You know, electric cars are great. Electric cars are much, 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 much better than 
internal combustion cars. Electric cars are much, 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 much better than cars driven by gasoline. But why do we have to have cars at all? You know, it's not as if we have cars because it was a free choice. It's not as if we have cars because, you know, the auto companies and the oil companies want us to think cars are about freedom and cars are about success and cars are sexy. But cars are expensive for the family budget. Cars are bondage. When you are sitting in traffic breathing fumes, you are not free. When you're driving along and you're tempted to look at your cell phone because you would rather not be driving, you are not free. Plus, the automobile is a tremendous burden on the family budget. The average automobile costs $10,000 per year to own and operate. That uh, accounts the amount you pay for the car. It counts the amount of interest that you pay on loans. It counts your insurance. It counts repairs and not least of all, gasoline. All of these things, so all of these things are a tremendous hit to the family budget. You know, the auto companies and the oil companies and the rest of the Fortune 500 are making quite a lot of money, thank you, in business as usual. So they want you and I to think that change is uncool and change is expensive and change is risky because they're making quite a lot of money, thank you, in business as usual. But let's compare automobiles to trains. What if automobiles are more dangerous and trains are safer? What if automobiles, even electric cars, are more of a burden to the environment than electric trains? What if automobiles, even electric cars, are a tremendous hit to the family budget? What if automobiles cause you and I to send money out of the local economy? What if we could keep a lot more money in the local economy if we did not have automobiles? The automobile means that we're spending money to Wall Street corporations. What we spend for the car, we pay money to the auto companies. That's a Wall Street corporation. We pay money for financing. That's usually done by an out-of-town Wall Street bank. So that's sending money out of town. Insurance companies were sending money out of town. Gas at the pump were sending money out of town. Only a small fraction of that represents economic activity for our local economy. So automobiles are a racket. We don't have automobiles because they're efficient. One of these days I want you to, you know, when you're sitting in traffic or driving through traffic, I want you to, you know, at a glance you can see 40 or 50 cars. Those 40 or 50 cars are carrying, let's say they're 40 cars, they're carrying on average 60 people. Can we not think of a more efficient way of carrying 60 people than using 40 cars? Plus, the people in those 40 cars are not free 
they're in bondage. Plus, the people that are in those cars are paying a lot of money for those cars. You know, sometimes I think that the way to a better future is to lower everyone's cost of living. So would your cost of living go down if you no longer had to pay $10,000 per car per year? If you could get around without having to pay $10,000 per car per year, then that would be lowering your family budget, and it's as if you got a raise. Think of a family that has two people in it, and both of them are drivers. It is an unusual family in America that has two drivers but does not have two cars. So that two-car, two-driver family is paying, on average, $20,000 per year to have cars. Can't we think, can't we let them keep their money? Can't we provide a state-of-the-art electric train system and let them keep their money? No doubt they'll have to pay something in taxes for that train system. But we need for the wealth that we need for the wealthy to pay much more in taxes, but that's another conversation. It's another conversation as to why the wealthy should pay more in taxes and why that is fair and right and just and equitable. But just for the sake of discussion, let's say that the per person cost of electric trains is Pull a number out of the air, $2,000 per year. Why can't we let people keep $8,000 of their money per year and maybe have to earn less, maybe be less of a slave to their job, maybe be less of a slave to their retirement savings plan? So it's not just about creating clean, renewable energy. It's about being equitable and just. It's about not letting oligarchs and plutocrats take all of our money. It's about no longer being fooled by the a media and a, an economy, no longer being fooled by an economy that requires us to pay $10,000 per year per car. Let's go to the next paragraph, paragraph B under item 14. We will invest in nationwide electric vehicle charging infrastructure to increase access to these resources for all, just as we built an interstate highway system in the 1950s and 60s. We will move beyond oil toward an electric car. Concerns of cost and whether there will be access to a charging station have prevented many people from being able to choose this low-carbon option. We are going to change that. When Bernie is president, he is going to fully transform our energy sector away from fossil fuels, ensuring no one is priced out of this transition. So the main idea here is building an electric vehicle charging infrastructure because what people who buy, people who have electric cars have something called range anxiety because they never know, you know, you have to charge 
your car with some frequency and there need to be charging stations along the road wherever they might be going. So Bernie is saying that we're going to have an electric vehicle charging infrastructure. And that's good, that's okay, that's fine, just so we don't get fooled into thinking that, oh, we just have to transition to electric cars. We need to aggressively go toward electric trains, and that's going to require that we restructure our cities, for one thing. We're going to have to just say no to urban sprawl. In my opinion, we need to just say no to new roads. Yes, I said it. Just say no to new roads. Because here's a principle. We want to say no new fossil fuel infrastructure. So fossil fuel infrastructure can include roads, it can include pipelines, it can include drilling platforms, you know, no new mines, no new drilling, no new roads, no new pipelines. And when we say no new roads, that's going to change a lot of things for a lot of people, a lot of the businesses that make their money by always develop new land, develop new land, develop new land. This has caused what we call urban sprawl. The urban centers just continue to sprawl and sprawl and sprawl because there's cheap land out there. And you can give people cheap homes if you take advantage of the cheap land. But it's not cheap for society to destroy all of the habitat associated with developing land. So we need to really rethink what we're doing. We need to say no new roads. There is plenty of room where, you know, we don't have to have, we don't have to develop land for new subdivisions. We don't have to develop land for new industrial centers. We need to make the most out of the land that is already developed. And that is part of the principle called no new fossil fuel infrastructure. We need to not spend highway funds widening highways. We need to not spend highway funds to develop new roads, whether they're widening interstate highways, whether it's building new interstate highways. We have a serious situation here. We have a situation here that is deadly to our species. Who among us is going to stand up publicly and publicly debate the issue as to whether or not we have a situation that is very dangerous to our species. Now, debate, when does debate occur? Let's talk about whether you and I are even given the knowledge that we need to make decisions. Let's talk about whether our neighbors are given the knowledge that we need to have the awareness to make decisions in a democracy. Now, how do we get off on this? The way we got off on this is that I am sharing with you ideas that are strange to most people. And as a result, see, people have fear of the unknown. And when they hear ideas that are strange, they don't have the receptors to be able to absorb the information. 
When people hear ideas that are strange, they tend to filter it out because they don't have any relevant life experience to be able to absorb the information. When people hear ideas that are strange, they tend to filter it out because they don't have any relevant knowledge that helps them absorb the information. Why am I saying any of this? I'm saying this because change requires openness and receptivity. And change, and you're not going to get the openness and receptivity from the corporate media. You're not going, we can't rely on the corporate media to give us the background knowledge that we need to be able to make bold decisions that are consistent with the actual situation that we find ourselves in. In other words, we need to just say no to fossil fuel infrastructure, but that is completely, just say no to new fossil fuel infrastructure, but that is completely inconsistent with the way the business world currently operates. Because the way the business world currently operates is to always take advantage of cheap things, but they're not cheap to society. So, for example, when you, for example, in our mainstream economic system, nature only has value when you harvest it and sell it. So, a forest in our economic system, a forest has no value until you cut it down and sell it. And a forest has no value if, you know, until you cut it down, sell the wood, and then you use the land to grow corn to feed cattle, or you use the land to grow cattle. So the only, in our economic system, the only way that that land has value is when you cut it down and sell the wood and use it to grow corn or grow cattle. Then that land has value, but not until then. So isn't it crazy that we have an economic system that does not acknowledge the value of land until it is destroyed, does not acknowledge the value of a forest until it is cut down and sold. I think you'll agree with me that it's pretty crazy that we have an economic system that does not acknowledge the value of a forest until you cut it down, sell the wood, and use it to grow cattle, or use it to develop real estate for the sake of selling homes, or for the sake of industrial manufacturing, distribution, etc. Because the, in, in point of fact, in, in reality, not in our economic system, but in reality, that ground, that land has value. It just does not have value in our economic system. So here's how that land has value. So we know right now, and it, we could be talking about a forest in North America, or we could be talking about a forest in the Amazon. But whether it's a forest in North America or whether it's a forest in the Amazon, it has value as a carbon sink. So a forest can be a carbon sink. A carbon sink is something that absorbs carbon. So we need our forests to be left alone so they can absorb carbon. It is very important that our forests be left alone so they can absorb carbon because 
don't we have a problem with excess carbon in the atmosphere? I think you'll agree with me that we have a problem with excess carbon in the atmosphere. Why do we have a problem with excess carbon in the atmosphere? Because when there is too much carbon in the atmosphere, it's a greenhouse gas, it heats the air, and the air around us, on average, has been heated too much, and it is creating a very dangerous situation. So we say that, that, the, that carbon, excess carbon in the air is creating a very dangerous situation. So we're going through Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal. It is important to note that when Bernie Sanders was asked what is the greatest national security threat, he said climate change. And he is right. Climate change is the greatest national security threat. Climate change poses the greatest threat. Climate change along with related ecological issues such as the sixth great extinction. But climate change along with other ecological issues is the greatest threat to our existence, the greatest threat to our survival, the greatest threat to us thriving because people can't thrive when they are struggling against circumstances beyond their control. People can't thrive when there's mass migration due to drought caused by climate change. People can't thrive. Also, people can't thrive when the United States is making war on them. And the reason the United States is making war on them is because people make money from war and because the powers that be have convinced us that Iran or Iraq or Russia or China or Venezuela or Cuba or North Korea is a threat to us, but none of those entities are actually a threat to us. Drug traffickers are not a threat to us. Socialism is not a threat to us. Communism is not a threat to us. The greatest threat to us is climate change, which is caused by an economic system and a political system where a few people have way too much power. So what got me started off on this tangent? What got me started off on this tangent is the idea that solving climate change is going to require new ideas. It's going to require that we rethink everything. And we need to be aware that the media, the corporate media, does not want us to think clearly or objectively. The corporate media is not in the business of helping us think about new ideas even when those new ideas are vital to our very survival. Now, let's go on to paragraph 15. Paragraph 15 of Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal. It's transportation. We're talking about transportation. So as president, Bernie will do the following things. And we have paragraphs A through K. As president, Bernie will do these things related to transportation. 
Uh, as President Bernie will fully electrify and decarbonize our transportation sector. We will create a federal grant and zero emission vehicle program to create a 100% renewable transportation sector. Zero emission vehicle programs are already having success all across the country. In order to transition to 100% electric vehicles powered with renewable energy instead of expensive fossil fuels, we will institute the following programs. So we're going to talk about programs like grants to purchase uh, grant grants to purchase a new electric vehicle. We're going to talk about a vehicle trade-in program. We're going to talk about electric vehicle charging infrastructure. Do not get bored. Do not get bored because this is policy and we can no longer count on the politicians to give us policy. Our politicians are asleep at the wheel. Our politicians are captured by corporate money. Do not fall asleep. Do not get bored because we need to know policy. We don't have to know all the details, but we need to know what we want. We need to know what we are going to demand. Do not get bored. Do not fall asleep. So we're going to talk about electric vehicle charging infrastructure. We're going to talk about school and transit buses. We're going to talk about replace all shipping trucks with probably electric uh, trucks. We're going to talk about ensuring the decarbonization of the transportation sector. We're going to talk about building public transit that is affordable, fast, and resilient. We're going to talk about building regional high-speed rail. We're going to talk about retrofitting dangerous fossil fuel infrastructure. So those are all the things we're going to talk about under here's what Bernie is going to do. Uh, in re relation to transportation. Keep in mind, this is not an endorsement of Bernie Sanders. Uh, this is just reviewing his policy proposals. I'm, I can't even vote for Bernie Sanders because I'm not registered as a Democrat unless he wins the Democratic nomination. But um, it's not an endorsement of Bernie Sanders, but this is good literature that he has put out. These are good, solid policy proposals. And when I disagree with them, I'll let you know. But we need to first read what he has to say. So as president, Bernie will do the following things. We've got a couple of minutes left. I'll give you a couple of these and then we'll go from there. As President, Bernie will fully electrify and decarbonize our transportation sector. I've, I've already, sorry, I've already read that. Uh, Grant will, will institute these new programs. Grants to purchase a new electric vehicle. We will provide $2.09 trillion in grants to low and moderate income families and small businesses to trade in their fossil fuel dependent vehicles for new electric vehicles. Currently, purchasers of electric vehicles are wealthier than buyers of conventional cars, as President Bernie will make sure working families share the benefits of this transition and nobody is left behind. Now, I say what concerns me about this is that too many electric cars means we don't have enough electric trains, but I can understand how 
we're wanting to you know we're wanting to do away with internal combustion engines as fast as possible and a, a way to do that is to uh, keep poverty from being an obstacle to buying electric vehicles if you can afford uh, a gas-powered vehicle you should also afford a an electric vehicle also having an abundance of electric vehicles will mean that the, the that the charging electric vehicle charging infrastructure will be uh, in demand people will demand electric vehicle charging infrastructure and the main one of the main benefits of all this not only to decrease carbon but also to decrease the amount of toxic fumes that we have to breathe. Too many people, especially in urban areas, have asthma and other serious preventable diseases. That's all the time we have. We're going to pick up where we left off next time. Questions, comments, or feedback, email info at theclimatereport.net. Have a great day. Thanks.